Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging, the podcast where you and your church will find answers to the difficult questions that arise as we grow older. On behalf of the Baptist Home, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brames. Dr. Elmer Towns has joined us today on this podcast. Dr. Towns, many of our listeners may be familiar with you, uh, but for those who are not, could you please introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit about where you serve, a little bit of of your life history, if you would, please. Well, first of all, in a couple of weeks, I'll be 88 years old. I love the Lord, and um, 49 years ago, I helped Jerry start Liberty University. Uh, I had been a college president in Canada. Matter of fact, when I was 27 years old, the youngest Bible college president of the oldest college, Bible college in Canada, and I learned something in that Bible college experience. It was an interdenominational. I worked hard. I worked very hard. I couldn't get that little old college past 86 pupils. 86, that's all. I started with 42, and I more than double, and I came away saying, you know, if I ever start a college again, I'm gonna do two or three things differently. I'm gonna make the college a church. God's plan is with the church primarily. I am a Baptist, I'm a committed Baptist, and the church is God's plan. So I said, I'm gonna make every student work in the college. And so we came to Liberty, I said, Jerry, Thomas Road Baptist Church and Liberty University will be the same as far as the life of the students. Every student will be a member of the church, will attend Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, will work in the church, Christian and service, and we'll get the vision. The vision of the church will become their vision. What we're doing is what they will do. And therefore, the best way to teach people is by example. And we did that by Thomas Road Baptist Church. So God is blessed. Today, we have over 100,000 students. Our budget is $1 billion a year. I retired seven years ago, so I am completely out of the running of the school. And I just pass those figures on to you. God has done an amazing thing here at Liberty. Mm. All that we have in ministry, I can't tell you how many we have in ministry today, how many have planted big churches. I'm thinking thinking students out there with churches of three, four, five, and 7,000 in attendance. And so we praise God for what he's done. Well, you certainly have influenced the lives of countless students, countless ministers, and through them, obviously, the lives of so many others as well. Dr. Towns, you and senior adults in general, uh, which is really the, the focus of this podcast, have so much to give to many younger generations. And you have served as a mentor to people like Dr. Harrison, who's currently serving as the president of the Baptist Home, uh, others who are very well known in their own right, such as John Maxwell. Could you speak to our audience a little bit about the importance of mentoring in general and what it has I meant think to mentoring you? started with me back in my first year at Dallas Theological Seminary in 1954. Now, I got involved with the Navigators, and 2 Timothy 2.2 became very important to us. The things you have seen, you have received among many witnesses, among faithful men, pass on to other people. And so I got involved in trying to influence other people's lives, even when I was a freshman in seminary, trying to influence the lives of other people and the church, wherever I could go. So I think mentoring is discipleship. And so basically it's applying what the Bible teaches about discipleship in 2 Timothy 2.2 onto other people. 
So that's basically what mentoring is. Yes, John Maxwell, I, I met many years ago, and um, it's a very interesting situation. I was called to Iowa. I was going to go preach at a church, and it was a church that has grown from nothing to over a thousand. This huge, this huge number of people. Well, anyway, the pastor uh, moved out of town, out in the country. He built an auditorium that will seat 1,400 for his 1,000 people. And he had, uh, Robert Shuler came, was the first day, Wednesday and uh, Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday morning. And so as I was getting off the plane, he got on the plane. He said, go back, Helmer. This place <laughs> is terrible. It's dead. Go home. Let's go. Let's, let's go back. I said, no, I got to get on the preach. And so I showed up and come to find out the church only had about 100 adults. It had a 1,000 on bus ministry. And so the church had about a hundred there on Sunday morning, but all the bus kids were elsewhere. So you got a fourteen hundred seat auditorium with a hundred people in it. And so I was going to teach the pastor. There were thirty pastors there, and I was told there were going to be hundreds of pastors. Well, there were thirty. <laughs> so I taught these thirty pastors what I taught, and then I went back to town. I went to the Howard Johnson Motel. And I looked across the restaurant, I saw this young kid over there, long, long-haired hippie kid, I called him. It was John Maxwell. <laughs> and he was uh, in his early 20s, he had a church. And I said, aren't you one of the pastors? Come sit with me, John. He came over, sat down, and he said, he said this is, he said, I can't even eat. I said, oh, come on, this doesn't eat. And then I said, I'll tell you what, if you don't like this conference, go change your plane reservation and travel with me back to Chicago. I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to introduce you to three of the biggest pastors in the world that will change your life. And um, one was Jack Hiles, and one was John R. Rice. Jack Hiles, of course, at that time had the huge church, First Baptist Church of Hammond. John R. Rice had the editor, he was the sword of the Lord. And the other was Lee Robertson, uh, the, the first and second largest church in America. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, John, you know, went, changed his prayer, went with me, and I took him, and I spent that whole day talking with him. Hmm. And what I was trying to do is give him a vision of what God could do through him. And so we've been friends ever since that. And then he said, come to my church. He said, I want you to come and uh, preach for me. And I came and preached for him, and I did a pastor's conference for him. And I said, now, take these things that you're learning and take these things that I'm teaching and you teach them to other people. So that's that's my mentoring role with John Maxwell. We've been friends. We've had vacations together in Japan, vacations together in Europe. We've we've had vacations together. We've been to the Masters Golf Tournament in Myrtle Beach and every other place you can imagine. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, obviously your impact on him uh, has allowed him to impact many around the world as well. What are you? What do you believe, Dr. Towns, are some of the key lessons that senior adults can share with younger generations, some of those key principles that need to be passed on? I have three children. My son, who is the middle, is with the Lord. He passed away in an automobile accident. Um, I have 10 grandchildren, and I have seven great-grandchildren. And three of those great-grandchildren are, one is married, the other two are married age. And so very shortly, I can be a great-great-grandfather. Hmm. Hmm. 
Hmm. And so I like I said, uh, what, what do I want to be for these? I want you to know, first of all, prayer. I pray for every one of my grandchildren every day. I hold them up before God. I pray, number one, God, deliver them, keep them from temptation and trials from Satan. And then I pray for God to, to show himself to them and to use them and give them a passion to go to church and serve God in the church. And so I pray for all of my, my, my grandchildren and children every day. So I, I love that. And so I would say to be a mentor, you have to share your life. The things that God has taught you, you have to teach to them and then uh, encourage them to use it with other people because they haven't really learned it until they use what you're passing on to them. That's great, great words, sir. Thank you very much. Well, the two things that you just shared, I think, are a part of this. But if someone had never considered mentoring others before, is there some way, especially even later at a later age in life, is there something that you would encourage that person who is thinking, well, I might be able to mentor, but I really don't know how to start? What, what might that person do to be able to pass on some of their thoughts and values? I think first of all, realize that you are, you are an example. And you have to say, what do I have that I can pass on? What are my strengths that I can communicate? What can I give to another person? And so you have to ask yourself those hard questions. What can you really pass on? And so I, I know certain things I can pass on to my children. The most important thing is money and time because uh, life is made up of the money you work for and the money you spend and the way you spend your money. So you want to pass on lessons about money. I, I've always, with all of my children and my grandchildren, I have used money as a means of teaching. Now, I talk about my grandchildren. Uh, when they first come along, I give them money in a savings account. That was originally. Now I give them stock. <laughs> I have a brand new granddaughter, and uh, Hannah. And so I went out, and I really like this young girl, and so I gave her $1,000 and stock options. And so I gave those to her. And so I, I give it to, I said, now you have to use these. And um, when I said, well, when I do it, I buy it, but I keep it. But when they turn of age, I give it to them. Mm. I have this one example. I think money is important. So I had a grandson and I bought him $2,500 in stock. And another granddaughter, his sister, I bought her $2,500. That was so interesting. Her stock went down from the time she was born until the time she was 18. She came, I bought my money. So I gave it to her. She went straight to the stockbroker, cashed all the stock in. It was only worth $1,000 and went out and spent it. In a day, she spent it all. Hmm. That tells me something about her life and how she looked at life. The boy, uh, his was doubled, just different stock. And so his, he went out. I said, what have you done with it? Nothing. He said, I'm going to keep it until I, I need something. So I've done that. So I've always used with my children. I teach them through money. I told each of my children, I said, when you get to the age 16, you want a car. I'm not going to buy you a car. I'll buy you half a car. Hmm. So you have to start saving your money. And if you save a little bit, you get a lot from me. Or you get a little bit from me. If you save a lot, you get a lot from me. So my son... He saved $400, I had 400, he bought an $800 car. And then my next daughter comes along and uh, she had, um, she saved about 
800. And so I put 800 with her. She got a $1,600 car. My last one comes along. It was 1,200, 1,200. So they saved their money. So I, I believe teaching children by money. Now, for many years, I used to teach at Winona Lake Summer School of Theology. Winona Lake is a campground in the middle of Indiana. And in this campground, children can run around all kinds of places to eat and to spend money to do everything. And so every day, every morning, I would give each kid $1. I said, now don't ask me for snacks. Don't ask me for, it said, you spend your money any way you want to. And it was interesting how my kids spent their money. My oldest daughter, it was gone within 30 minutes. Hmm. And my son at the end of the week had all $5. So it was interesting. And I, I would teach them from one another what you can learn these lessons you learn. So mentoring is important to teach your children and your grandchildren these lessons. Uh, well, thank you very much for that. Great, great wisdom for me as well. Dr. Towns, I, I want to shift gears now and speak, uh, have you speak about the idea of vitality. When this podcast episode airs, you just mentioned you're almost 88, you'll be 88 years young by then. And I say young because you are still active. You are, you do still serve in various capacities. So <laughs> what are some of the personal keys to the vita vitality that you have and some practices that you might recommend to somebody like me in my early fifties to, that, that I might have an opportunity to have that vigor and vitality at a later age as well? My mother married my father, who was a heavy drinker, who was an alcoholic. And um, as a young, before I, when I was born, we were living on a riverside, a nice riverside house in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, but by the time I started school, his drinking had become so heavy uh, that we lived in a shotgun house rented at the end of a street. And we didn't have a house with, um, with running water in it, just an old, old shotgun house, if you can imagine. So I grew up poor. And my mother um, said, you know, some things you could learn. And I learned, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be an alcoholic. I want to be, so I learned uh, not to drink and not to smoke. And I can remember, so my mother took me to Sunday school. And when I was, um, I was in the third grade, my Sunday school teacher was talking to all of us in front of the, the little church, Eastern Heights Presbyterian Church in Savannah, Georgia. And they had a church of about 60 people, small church. And so the Sunday school teacher said, now boys, look up there. And he pointed out two deacons who were smoking and said, don't ever have your first cigarette. Hmm. How come, Jimmy, I asked. He said, man, it's stupid. You should take that cigarette. In those days, when I was a young, you could buy a pack of cigarettes for 18 cents. Hmm. There were 18 cigarettes, a penny a piece. In them. And they looked at me and said, you like to burn up money? I said, no, I don't. I said, go and have the first cigarette. So I never had my first cigarette. Now, the very next week, uh, these two deacons, there were, there were different deacons out there. He said, boys, those two deacons, they drink. You don't want to drink. I said, I come, Jimmy. He said, well, you take that bottle. He said, you can take a bottle and you pay, it costs you like $4 for a quart of whiskey. A lot more than that today. Albert, you like to flush money down? Not me. He said, don't ever have your first drink. <laughs> and he said, okay. So... I've never had my first drink. I've never had my first cigarette. I've always tried to have a healthy attitude towards life. And so I said, you know, I want to be healthy. I want to serve the Lord. And then when I got saved at age 17, I learned my body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I want my body temple. So I'm 88, but this morning I've already run half mile, hmm. and I go out to the front yard. And I take a golf club, and I play the equivalent of 18 holes in about eight minutes. I like <laughs> walk it, but I I swing. I do the drive. I do the chip, and I do the putt. So I do that. And I play the equivalent of 18 holes. I get the exercise, the whole body exercise. I want my body to be a temple for the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Wow, that's a great word. I, I, I have to ask, since you brought it up, but what, what do you shoot in your front yard? Do you always break par? <laughs> uh, well, I, I never bogey. <laughs> <laughs> very good. You, you know uh, the course. You know the course very well by now, don't you? Well, no, let me tell you. Uh, I golf has been my exercise over the years, and about um, oh about eight years ago, I stopped playing golf uh, for score, and I just play golf for exercise nowadays. And so I, I usually play nine holes, and I don't play, I don't keep score. I try to do my best, but I, I know I can't do my best, and so I can't do what I've done before. The lowest score I've ever shot was a seventy-five. Well. I started out one day and I, I part a hole and I burned a hole, I part a hole. And my buddy said, from now on, he said, settle down. Today, you're going to break an all-time record. First time I ever hit in the 70s. And so I buckled down one day, every shot counted, and I shot a 75. And so I have played, God has been very good to me. I played Masters and some of the best courses in the world. Because when you're preaching, you go, you go to Akron, Ohio, Akron Baptist Temple. And um, the pastor there was living on the 17th hole of the mm. great course up there in Akron. So I played there, that course. I played all the courses in the world. Hmm. What a great privilege for you. That's, yes. that's, that's great. So thank you for joining us today. In the next episode, I will continue our conversation with Dr. Elmer Towns as we deal with the idea of finding peace through serving God after the death of a loved one. Biblical Perspectives on Aging is brought to you by The Baptist Home, a ministry committed to setting a Christ-like standard of care for the aging. For more information, go to thebaptisthome.org. That's all one word, thebaptisthome.org. Together, we can be the voice for the aging. Thank you for joining us for this interview today. The Baptist Home has provided Christ-like care to the aging since 1913. To learn more about the biblically informed resources and solutions provided by The Baptist Home, go to www.thebaptisthome.org. Again, www.thebaptisthome.org. You will find links to previous podcasts, a growing number of church resources, and detailed information about residential and long-term care communities. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brams asking you to be a voice for the aging.